You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. Designated Survivor, starring Kiefer Sutherland, is a political drama that has become one of my favorite programs to watch. So for this reason, I've really been looking forward to visiting with tonight's guest, journalist and author Garrett Graff. He's the author of a recently published book with a title that will definitely send chills down your back. (laughs) Raven Rock, the story of the U.S. government's secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die. Thanks a lot. That's really a good good feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Some light reading. So your book focuses on the Cold War plans when the Soviets were going to launch nuclear missiles, and that was the major threat. Were we really prepared for that? Well, we had a lot of plans written down. And I think what was sort of so interesting to me in researching this book was tracing how these plans evolved, but then also how they almost never worked during any of the times when we actually saw them deployed during incidents like the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then certainly on September 11th, which was the major time that these plans were deployed. And as it turns out, we, despite having lots of plans, despite sinking several hundred billion dollars into these facilities, turns out we were not anywhere close to as well prepared as we thought we were. What was the main focus of the plans? Essentially, I assume, continuity of government. Yeah, so that phrase is how these plans are broadly known, the continuity of government. And they really fell into two broad categories. One was around the actual nuclear command and control who was going to be in charge where of launching a retaliatory nuclear strike. So the president, our generals, and what's known as the National Command Authorities, the Nuclear Launch Authority. And then after that, you had a separate set of plans that came in about how the government would respond after a nuclear attack, how we would try to rebuild the United States. And this is where some of the most interesting and I thought sort of wackiest plans come into play, where you have sort of every U.S. government department and agency with a post-apocalypse version of itself. Uh, So you have the post office, which was the agency that was in charge of registering the dead and figuring out who was still alive in the United States. The Department of Agriculture was in charge of rations and figuring out how we were going to feed the survivors. The National Park Service was the agency that was going to run the refugee camps because the thinking was that the national parkland would actually largely survive a nuclear war. So you would flee your devastated urban metropolis into the bucolic wilderness of our national parks to be met with your friendly neighborhood park rangers. And then part of what I thought was so interesting about these plans as they came into existence and evolved over the years was how when you begin to talk about that question of what of America are you trying to preserve, you sort of very quickly get to this very existential question of, well, what is America? Are you trying to preserve the president? Certainly more than the government. Uh, Yeah. Are you trying to preserve the three branches of government? Are you trying to preserve the historical totems that have bound us together generation after generation? So the National Archives came up with these plans where they would save the Declaration of Independence before they saved the Constitution. The Library of Congress rank ordered their documents and decided that they would save the Gettysburg Address before they saved George Washington's military commission. Probably my favorite detail in the whole book is that through the Cold War, there was a specially trained team of park rangers in Philadelphia whose job it was to evacuate the Liberty Bell in the event of a Soviet nuclear attack. If you look that this was really done in the 50s and 60s, it would have saved a lot of white men. 
Yeah, and there's certainly this very clear difference in that era of sort of who the senior government leaders would have been. It was way before and, the civil rights movement. And sort of all of this very important, well, very fraught territory where spouses suddenly realized that they wouldn't be saved even when their husbands were during that era. I tell the story of this very chilly wives poker game during the first evacuation exercise during the Eisenhower years in 1954, where all of the cabinet wives stayed at home and played poker in Washington as their husbands and their secretaries evacuated to the mountain bunkers outside. But then you sort of raise this other interesting theme that comes up in this about the racial and class and income inequalities of these plans, that this huge push during the 1960s, which a lot of listeners may remember, I mean, as young kids and sort of the duck and cover drills of that era and Bert the Turtle. Some of my friends had fallout shelters. It, it, well, homes. and the fallout shelter trend was the big one of that moment. Fallout shelters work only if you have a basement or a backyard. So in the 1950s and 1960s, you were really talking about white people living in the suburbs and not in the South. Most homes in the South don't have basements. Mm -hmm. And so in urban areas, you don't have backyards. And there was a real debate during that time about public-private shelters and whether it was the government's responsibility to try to save all of the citizens or whether basically those wealthy enough could save themselves. Well, let me ask you this coming to where we are today. Who has ultimate responsibility for this? Is it the Department of Defense, FEMA, or another organization? Yeah, so the answer, as you mentioned, would surprise a lot of people, which is FEMA is the agency that runs all of these programs today. The uh, Department of Defense obviously has its own plans for the Pentagon, Raven Rock, the name of the book is the Pentagon Bunker in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. But FEMA, the agency that we now know as the natural disaster people, was originally formed as the continuity of government agency. And in fact, to this day, has a large chunk of its budget is a black classified budget that few in government ever get to see. And obviously what we do now is highly classified, but I'm sure you've asked lots of questions and probed. Are you comfortable that we are in a good situation as far as continuity of government, or would we still make a lot of these crazy errors? I don't think we're anywhere close to where we need to be, in part because you have a lot of the same problems that existed all along, even to the point where we still don't protect spouses, and so you would still run into the same challenge that people have run into since 1954 of whether you can actually expect these senior members of government to leave their families at home and head off to these bunkers. But then there are a lot of areas where we just know of problems, real problems around Congress's ability to reconstitute itself after a devastating attack in Washington. Well, we only have a few minutes more and we could talk about your book, but hopefully we've just teased people and that they'll buy it tonight on Amazon or at their neighborhood bookstore. But have to ask you about one of your earlier books, and that's The Threat Matrix, where you really have written the biography on Bob Mueller, yes. who is certainly in the news, and just recently you wrote in Politico, and I quote, Mueller's strong independence should terrify the Trump White House. How do you expect Bob Mueller to run the inquiry? So Bob Mueller exists in this incredibly small universe of people in Washington who truly are by reputation uh, completely apolitical and completely nonpartisan. He was someone who was lauded by both parties during his time as FBI director, longest serving FBI director since J. Edgar Hoover himself, the only person ever appointed to FBI director by both a Democratic president and a Republican president. I think you're going to see a very methodical and very tenacious independent investigation uh, around the Russian meddling. Now, I think the good news for Donald Trump in this is that if Donald Trump 
and his campaign are in fact entirely innocent, that all of this Russia stuff is just a very strange set of coincidences and misunderstandings. Uh, Bob Mueller might be the only person in Washington who could come back and declare Donald Trump is innocent and be believed by both parties. How long will it take to complete this inquiry? This is going to be years. Well, the heat keeps building. I mean, every day. It does. And I think you're going to see a real challenge as the congressional investigations continue along in public on one track, uh, while Bob Mueller's investigation continues along in private behind closed well, doors. What about the relationship between Jim Comey and Bob Mueller? I mean, they've certainly had a, a close history. Yeah. Many people don't realize just how close they really I mean, that's were. That's the whole Ashcroft situation. It, yeah, they were very, very close working partners after 9-11 when Comey was deputy attorney general and Mueller was behind director and they really went through that crucible of the post 9-11 government and the Justice Department and are very similar in personality and very very similarly regarded in Washington. Before we end I want to take advantage of your rich experience as an editor of Washingtonian magazine and also Politico. How do you cover a president who campaigns so overtly and directly through Twitter against the media? It's been a real challenge to watch how the media has reacted to Donald Trump over the last year, or almost two years, I guess now. In part because I think we are unused to a president who is as cavalier as Donald Trump is, in terms of the language that he uses, in terms of the allegations and accusations that he will spill out, and then sort of the bizarre spin that emanates from the White House today. Today, as we're recording this, Donald Trump tweeted a nonsensical tweet in the middle of the night that ends with the nonsense word kofifi. Which is trending very high today. Well, and which, <laughs> by sort of any interpretation was just an obvious typo. Yeah. And then the White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, come out today and say, no, that's precisely what he meant to tweet. And people who know what that means know what he means. Very odd. Well, I want to thank you for being the guest on Global IQ Minute. Uh, my guest tonight has been Garrett Graff, written just a remarkably interesting book, a great beach read, Raven Rock, the story of US government secret plan to save itself while the rest of us die. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.